Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Becca. And we both are volunteers for The Secret Illness. And this is our second podcast. Becca has decided on what the topic is going to be. Which is how OCD affects mother-daughter relationships. And why did you choose this topic? Um, I grew up with a mum who suffers with OCD. Didn't realise anything at all was different until I was about maybe 12. She herself didn't actually get diagnosed with OCD until much later in life. I think it was probably her 40s, 50s before she was actually told that she had OCD and that's where all the problems came from. I think as an adult for me now, I look back and realise how many circumstances would have been a lot easier for her had I known or had she known and just how different everything would have been if we'd have known what OCD was sooner and I wondered if it affected our relationship and if there were other people out there that had a similar setup. So who's your first interview with? With Maggie and her daughter Sophie who are both in New York and they both have OCD. and your way of being able to come out about everything that's happened you've said is because of Sophie and feeling like you had to be strong for her it'd be great to hear a bit more about that I really wanted her to never ever be ashamed of it and it occurred to me that if I wanted her to not be ashamed of it then I needed to be able to talk about my own issues which I, I never had before I had talked about drinking before I quit drinking when I was 28 And both of my kids knew that I'm an alcoholic, but I had never talked about my OCD and anxiety and depression. Why was it more shameful to talk about the OCD than to talk about alcoholism? That's a good question. I think a lot of it was that people started talking about alcoholism more in the maybe 80s and 90s, you know, movie stars or celebrities would come out with their drinking problems and their addiction problems. So it became a little more acceptable to talk about, but very few people ever talked about OCD symptoms or anxiety attacks. And I started pulling out my my eyebrows and eyelashes when I was about in first grade. I, I couldn't think of anything more shameful than what I was doing and could not help doing. So I never, I never even talked to a therapist about it until I was about 38 years old. <laughs> And I think that's something that um, is really relevant to me, that my mum had OCD throughout my whole childhood, but didn't get diagnosed or have any kind of awareness herself until much later in life. And I always think how much different her life and my life would have been if, if she'd have had diagnosis a lot earlier and if she knew what was going on. Is that something that you were thinking about with Sophie? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you, I would not change a thing in my life because of where I'm at right now. Having said that, if my self-esteem could have been spared when I was a kid, I think I was capable of much more with my writing and with the things I wanted to do. I did not want my daughter to ever look back and say, if my self-esteem hadn't been damaged by OCD, I could have done more. And so when did you first realize that she had OCD? She was diagnosed when she was 10, but in retrospect, she had had it all her life. She doesn't like being touched. And what do you do with a crying baby? You hold them, you cuddle them, and she could not stand to be touched. So she spent the first three years of her life basically crying because people would not stop touching her. But when she was diagnosed, there were so many things in the past that made sense. She doesn't like seams on her clothes. She have tantrums just outside of the realm of the norm if something didn't fit her right. And your own OCD, was yours similar? No, completely different. I had a problem when I was a kid. This sounds silly to a lot of people. The step on the crack, break your mother's back, little nursery rhyme you used to hear. I actually obsessed about that to the point where if I could not avoid stepping on a crack, I would be terrified until I saw my mother later that day. So that was kind of debilitating when I was four and five and six years old. And then when that faded is probably about when I started with the, the, it's called trichotillomania, when you pull out your eyebrows and eyelashes. That really, I think, was where my self-esteem started taking the dive. 
And again, I didn't even look it up until I was 38 years old and looked down at my baby boy playing with his eyelashes and thought, oh my God, whatever this is, I gave it to him. When they were diagnosed, how did you feel? There was a lot of guilt at first because to feel like you have something that impacted you negatively that you passed on to a child, it's a horrible feeling. As time went on, I realized there is no blame because what my daughter goes through is part of what has made her who she is. And she's this incredible person who is going to help a lot of kids with being able to talk about what she's gone through. If you can look at it like that, I, I don't feel shame anymore. I feel pride. And in your day-to-day -day life now, does OCD manifest itself still? I still have the trichotillomania. It's diminished over the years. And actually now, if I'm anxious about something, I'll realize after an hour that I just, you know, plucked out all of my eyebrows and without even realizing it and think, wow, I haven't done that in a year. Realize that I, I still have that. It's still there. It didn't, didn't quite go away. Is, is Sophie there with you? Yeah. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Do you think this connection, do you think that's made you closer? Just like talking about it with my mom has made us like, kind of helped her more understand what I go through so it has I think brought us closer more of like a bond that like we're both going through similar things and we both can get through them what's your earliest memory of thinking you had OCD or looking back now thinking that might have been a symptom of OCD well the one time where we first started going to therapy was when my mom was walking our dog. She had stopped to talk to one of our neighbors around the corner. She told me she would be back in 20 minutes, but then it had been 20 minutes because she got distracted. And I didn't know what it was then, but I started to have an anxiety attack because she wasn't home. And I started to think like she had died or gotten an accident or something. Like totally like unrealistic thoughts. I couldn't help it. And my dad, ended up driving me around the whole neighborhood trying to find her. It started this progression of if I wasn't in the same room as her, I thought she was going to die. Did things get better after the therapy? How's your day-to-day -day life now? Do you feel like you've got control? Yes and no. Like After I started going to therapy, it definitely did get a lot better. But then over this past summer, I started to sort of lose control over it again. There's a point this summer where I had had an anxiety attack every single day. Then I started a new medication and they've gone away. So I think something that people have to realize that are afraid to ask for help is that it's not always that simple. And it's still, I still deal with it. Like the medication doesn't stop them altogether, but it definitely helps me handle it. So I feel like people should realize that getting help isn't a shameful thing. Like, if you ask for help from a therapist or from someone you trust and they can get you help and medication, it can make a huge difference. And, and do you, you think of OCD as a genetic illness? It's been shown to have a hereditary component. If you're aware of the possibility, then you're ready for it. So, I mean, you can break the cycle with knowledge you know, my dad is a hoarder, so I think he's had this mental health issue all of his life and never realized it. I realized it, you know, in my 30s. My daughter realized it at 10. So now she has a child. She notices quirks at a young age. That they might never have to feel weird. They might just know it, you know, four years old, oh, we, we're going to manage this. It's all about knowledge. I'm in my 30s. I don't consider myself to have OCD. The reason I don't think I have the disorder is it, it, it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life. But I have a lot of small routines. And then once in a blue moon, I'll feel quite stressed and the routine will get out of control or last too long or I won't be able to stop it. And I do have a fear because I've seen what my mum has been through. My mum, her OCD only came when she gave birth to my sister and I. And I do have that fear of the genetic side of things and what might be ahead of me. It doesn't have to be a, a negative, having OCD. If you don't have the shame associated with it and you have the support that you need, it, it can actually propel you towards achievement. On your bad days, on your days when OCD isn't as manageable, do you ever have a time when you're both in that place and you're together? 
Not that I've noticed, no. We have different manifestations. I don't have the panic attacks that Sophie has. And that's been fortunate because that makes me available to her when she has them. So we have complementary, <laughs> complementary issues. I've really enjoyed talking to you both. Thanks, Becca. You too. How did you feel doing that interview? Their relationship... Maggie has OCD, as my mother did, and Sophie has OCD, which I'm still at this point where I'm wondering about myself. Sophie's that bit younger and in that kind of age bracket that I was when I was trying to get my head around what my mum was going through. So again, a lot of parallels that were in a way really comforting because it made me feel a hell of a lot less alone, but also seeing the genetic kind of side of things of mother to daughter reconfirmed my fears about what I will be like when I get pregnant or what my children will be like. All of my own fears just coming to kind of the front. So who are you going to talk to next? So next is Annie and Bex. Annie is the mum and Bex is the daughter and it's Bex who lives with OCD. So Bex, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, what do you do for a living? So I'm working as a PA at Portsmouth University, it's a completely different environment to what I was doing before, because I was children's services before, which was just horrendous and really bad for my intrusive thoughts with children and stuff as well. How old were you, Bex, when, well, from both of you actually, when you have your first memory of OCD coming into your life, but also, Annie, when you realised it was there? Probably when I was about 12. I wouldn't say that I really noticed it that no, much. Becky, uh, she hid it very well. Becky was quite sulky when she was younger, and that was probably all to do with it. It was all the mood swings the and everything and the anxiety. Yeah. The way I cope with it, it does come out as irritability and kind of, I do get very moody. My anxiety, that's how it manifests itself. I go very quiet, which isn't like my real personality. I don't think I even hid it for years. I just don't think I understood what was going on in my own head until I was probably about early 20s, probably. Yeah, probably. Once you went to university and then used to, she used to talk about plagiarism all the time and everything and worrying about oh, this yeah. and worrying about that and I just think oh for goodness sake you know get a grip because I didn't understand it but the only time it really affected us at home is when she asked me to buy anti-back soap that was the start of it for me that was yeah the contamination of yeah. CD with regards to like dog feces which is my biggest one and yeah that's when it really started and that's when everything did kind of come out I think that was the hardest time for us really yeah she was working in a shoe shop in Chichester, which was uh, quite difficult. Yeah. And you were bleaching everything, weren't you? Yeah, and I thought that's everything. when it really started to kind of manifest. Um, and then I got signed off from there. And Annie, do you remember the first time Bex told you about the intrusive thought side of things? Yes, I do. It was on your second lot of therapy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. This therapist was very good, but it was only halfway through the session that Bex actually disclosed her thoughts with the therapist. And she came out in floods of tears and told me all about it in the car. It's how do you deal with it when your child's telling you this and you're thinking, she's going back to work now. She's got to try and put on this face. That's why she's so tired, because she has to pretend. You know, she's just got to act out now her job while all these thoughts are going on in her head. But she was so worried that we would think that she was some awful person. But obviously, you know, you don't think like that. It's your child and you'll do anything to protect your child. I don't think people realise how expensive contamination OCD is. Yeah. The fact Dan, that, my boyfriend, yeah. starting to notice because he's he had to spend twenty pounds on cleaning products the other day, and they're gone. And then if I think that the cleaning products are contaminated, I have to buy a new set of cleaning products. And then you know, one day we came home and she washed our settee with Dettol. <laughs> then she'd start screaming at us because we were saying, "Why is it wet?" The only way she could take her frustration out is just by reacting with anger. You went along with it, and I know they say, "Oh, you should do safety behaviours," but you can't help it when you're in a small environment with a child with OCD. You have to have some safety behaviours to actually manage to live your life function. and function daily, yes. You know, you're bringing back loads of things for me that I'd, I'd forgotten about about my childhood. <laughs> forgotten about the Asda trips and filling the, yeah. the trolley up with the wet wipes and then you'd yeah. throw away the yeah. top wet wipe because that probably wasn't clean enough. 
And so you said at the beginning, you said you used to have a job in children's services. Did you feel that's related to where the intrusive thoughts with children came from? I took the job. I didn't even really think about it that much at the time. I didn't think I'd hear much. I thought I was just kind of admin in that department. So it would be fine, but it, it really wasn't. It really started to trigger me. And in, in the second year, I became a PA to three social workers. So you were sat right in the team. And the stuff you would hear, as you, I'm sure you can imagine, it was just horrific. And it just became too much. I, I'm not even just from kind of my intrusive thoughts, but I read about other parents or mums that have mental health and it was now affecting their children, which made me panic and think, well, maybe I shouldn't have children because I'm going to be like this. I don't want to neglect my child one day because of my OCD. And it, it, I just don't think it was a, a positive environment. I think it was exposure work to the extreme. But I used to go over because Becky only worked over the road from me. And you'd see her come out with her colleagues and she'd be laughing and smiling and talking. And she'd see me and walk towards me and I could visibly see her face drop. And I thought, oh God, we're in for another bad night. And she'd come down and it wasn't her fault, but she knew she could be herself with us. And she'd get in the car, she'd say, I'm so tired, I just want to go to bed. And that's so upsetting because, you know, you see all these young people every day living their lives, enjoying themselves, being able to do anything. She can't do that, and that's what really upsets me. Did you tell anyone what was going on? I didn't tell anybody about Beck until I think I broke down to my brother in my sister's kitchen, actually, one day. He said, is everything all right? And I just absolutely collapsed in floods of tears. And it was only then that I started telling the family, because nobody knew, because we'd hidden it in this little bubble. You live your life, just the three of you, and nobody knows what's going on. It must be so amazing to have one another in this situation. My mum was very much on her own for a lot of the time. It must be nice to know that the other one knows all the details. You don't have to go into the detail of why. Yeah, it's, I think that's what I found hard the last few days, actually, because I knew my mum was in Berlin and I couldn't, I was really struggling. I couldn't just ring her and that was really difficult. We landed back at Gatwick and I had a missed call from Becky. I just knew it was going to be bad. And it's funny because you can switch yourself off. You know, I'd gone away, I'd only gone for three days and I thought, I'm just going to enjoy myself. And you just come back to Earth with a bump back home. It's just reality here. That's the hand I've been dealt. But we, we do have laughs, we do have fun. We can laugh about oh, a lot yeah. of things. And you have to laugh at the just utter ridiculous of it sometimes. I mean, Dan, he's terrible, he'll call me Jimmy Savile which is really unhelpful sometimes, and it's very dark, but it does kind of bring me back to work and think, yeah, okay, the reality of it is I'm not a big monster. You, you need humour with OCD, yeah, definitely, and black humour is good. Like, when you're wiping a Dettol pack with another Dettol wipe, that's just, like, ridiculous, and you do have to just think, for God's sake, what is my life? Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think the hardest part as a parent is? The hardest part for me is seeing all her friends living their lives. I find it hard to think that my daughter has got mental illness, but we, we just have to manage it, and that's the way we do. And, you know, apart from this OCD, there's, you know, she's fine. There's nothing wrong with her. She's she's a lovely, <laughs> most of the time, beautiful young lady that's done really well. You know, she got a degree, she did her education. She's fun, and that's the thing. It's when the fun Becky comes out, it's lovely, and I really, I miss that a lot of the time. Do you have um, anyone else in your family with OCD or mental health? We've discussed this quite a lot. I definitely have a bit of OCD myself. I never knew what it was. Bex, you said that you wanted a family in future and that the POCD made you a bit anxious about that. Do you, feel, do you have any worries um, genetically as well? Does it play on your mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, I do worry that I've passed something on. I think the thing I worry about more, obviously, is... POCD, I worry like simple things like changing my child's nappy, would I become aroused? Things like that, would I want to become aroused? Horrendous things like that. And I wouldn't want to be left alone with the child. And that's stuff I'm really going to have to try and work on if I do want a family. I think the thing I worry about most though is after having worked in children's services and about some cases that were not obviously abuse in terms of sexual abuse or anything, but it was more so the kind of fallout of the parents' um, mental health and how they would then neglect their child. So they weren't doing anything as in abuse, but they were neglecting their child because of their own mental illness. And I think that's what I'd be worried about. I'd be worried about maybe being emotionally withdrawn from them because obviously if I can't be alone with them, in a dark day I shut down emotionally. I can't be what someone needs me to be. And I don't want to put my child through that. And that's quite upsetting. 
Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> but do you, I mean, you're obviously an incredibly strong woman, but do you feel like, at the moment, do you feel like you would still want a family, you'd still go for it and work work through those things? I don't know. Seeing how I've been with Dan the last couple of weeks and he's getting the brunt of my moods and everything because of my anxiety, I don't want a child to have to be put through that. It's not fair and... I think at the moment I can't see it happening, but then that makes me quite sad because I really would like a child. Growing up as as a child of someone who has OCD, I thought all of those things you just feared. I did think it was unfair sometimes. I did yeah. get annoyed sometimes. I was frustrated. I didn't understand why my life couldn't be normal like all my friends and why when I was a teenager, my favourite top that I'd saved up all my pocket money for, I couldn't wear because it was in some cycle of being shaken out because there was dust on it from the clothes horse and dust had settled on it and that wasn't fair. No one else's mums had done that before, but I have the most wonderful mum in the world. I'm so glad I've got her as my mum. I wonder if there's been times in her life when she's been in those really dark places and feeling like this is so unfair that my children are going through this with me. I wonder if she's ever regretted it and thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have had children then. I mean, she always says the best thing that ever happened to her were the two of us. So I imagine she wouldn't say that, and it is worth it, but... Yeah, no, completely. I mean, obviously, like my mum said, she can see it in herself now, having me been diagnosed, that she had OCD as well, especially when she, I was born and things, and they say pregnancy's a real trigger for it, and so I do always worry that maybe I'd get worse if I got pregnant. There must be a genetic element or something that... But then it's like nature-nurture, or is it maybe just because I grew up around someone with OCD? Yeah, there's definitely mental illness in the family, I would say. You know, everyone manages it, and it's just being open with it, I think. And as long as you've got your support group around you and your network, and you can discuss it and feel comfortable discussing them as well, that's the thing. I think we do, don't we? Yeah, we, we do. We've yeah. very open... <clears throat> yeah, we've managed so far, and I just look now on how far we've come in the last ten years. Mm. You know, it's amazing, really, when I think how dark those days were. You interviewed Annie and Bex. How do you feel afterwards? They are the kind of reverse of me and my mum in that Bex suffers with OCD and Annie is the one who doesn't have it. Although, interestingly, she has a few traits yeah. and you feel you have a few traits. Yeah, although the, the roles were mother-daughter were flipped... There were a few similarities where I thought, oh, Annie has that same kind of thought process as I do of like how much of this is from me and with me, how much of this have I gained? It was really refreshing to have a, a conversation with both sides where they were quite open about what they went through on a daily basis. You've really expressed nicely why it's very important to actually talk about it. Yeah. But I find it really interesting that you've gone through a process where it's actually been quite difficult. Even today, now, you're feeling a little bit anxious. Yeah, I hate you about <laughs> Everything I Every word that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, I'm going to have to ring my mum this afternoon and tell her what I've done. But why do you think it is so difficult? Do you know what? The more people we've spoke to, I've realised that the stigma is still huge. It's this kind of, uh, the trivialisation of it being a bit silly and it being a bit neurotic and a bit dramatic and a bit unnecessary and the things that perhaps I haven't said that I know are kind of maybe my mum's more over the top rituals that I don't feel I can share and I should because it's important that people realise what it can do but I'm not doing because it's not my story it's my mum's and I know my mum would be embarrassed and I wish she wasn't I wish she was able to say, I don't care if I'm embarrassed, this is a mental illness and this is what I've had to do for however many years and that's what I've had to suffer with. But she is. She is because so many people don't understand it. It only works if people share their stories. And I'm here preaching that message and still not fully comfortable to be able to share the full version of what my mum went through. There's a moment in your interview where Annie um, says she goes to Berlin and she actually really appreciated the break. When you were growing up, did you feel like you needed a break from it? In the time, I didn't feel like that, but I, at 18, moved to London. And when I used to go home at Christmas and Easter and summer, there was a bit of me that was quite glad that I was visiting and I could go back to my empty room with all my stuff, how I wanted it, and everything set up my way. In the moment, I didn't think, oh, I need a break from this. But I think when I had one, it, it was... 
it was quite refreshing. So your final interview is going to be very interesting. I know. So it's with Leonie. She's a photographer and an artist. And she's a similar setup to me in that her mum lives with OCD and she doesn't have OCD. And her work often is centred around her mum and living with OCD. Could you tell me a little bit about the creative projects you're doing to start off with? Well, In the Shadow of Things, I published that a few years ago. Yeah. And that was based on just spending a lot of time with my mum and trying to face the, the kind of issues of, of OCD and try to kind of shift what had become really stagnant and difficult and use photography as a way to kind of navigate through that. So In the Shadow of Things is, is a photography book but has dialogue in the back. Off the back of that book, I then was left with this kind of, well, we still haven't finished what we started, that we still hadn't finished clearing her house and there was still a case of well, what do we do with a lot of this stuff. And so then I applied to the Wellcome Trust to do a new project which is called Collection in Person and that was to go through all my mum's stuff with her and select as many objects as she was willing to to go on eBay and it's turned out there are 4,000 items and use eBay almost like a kind of clearing centre and then there's the question of how the photographing itself helps you let go so if you can kind of archive it and that in itself is a process of letting go. Your mum's OCD is a kind of cleaning kind of OCD and then on the side of that uh, a hoarding aspect. How does it manifest itself in kind of day-to-day life? It manifests itself in that kind of cliche that she washes her hands all the time. A kind of an anxiety around one thing touching another and whether is one dirtier than the other. So that that's going on all the time in conversation and amongst that there's plenty of like normal family stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and so it's not like that all the time. It's interesting you speaking about it in that way because obviously while I've been doing The Secret Illness I've spoke a lot about my mum and her OCD and I'll be halfway through a story or an anecdote, and I always feel like I need to say, but there were other times. This this wasn't everything. Yeah, um, exactly. Yes, when it was bad, it was very, very bad, but there was times when it was wonderful. And my mum has quite a sense of humour about her OCD, but at the same time, it's, like, very serious. Like, if you've you got to wash your hands, you've really got to wash your hands. In my mum's case, the house, like, filled with objects, and rooms became kind of unusable. The way I understand it is like my mum's levels are so extreme, like how she has to clean something. It'll take her like 20 times longer than any of us to wash, say, a jam jar. You can't get through in in a 24-hour day the normal kind of domestic things that need to be done to that level. So things get put aside. I'll do that later. I'll put that in a box because to do it in a halfway way like that I would do because I don't have... OCD I just I'll just kind of wash that jar as quickly as I can doesn't really matter my mum just wouldn't be able to do that everything has to be completed in this perfect way as a result like piles build and build and build and bags fill with laundry that needs to be washed in a particularly complex way sort of three times you know socks can only be washed with socks and bras can only be washed with bras and like when I went to school I mean I'd love to talk to you more about that side of thing I, I was really like what like people wash their bras with other things too you know it was really yeah. I had no idea um, it, in one aspect it's really achieving perfection you know if, if my mum's doing a room say she's cleaning a table will be cleaner than any table I've ever seen it's so beautiful but because it takes her a week to get it to that level meanwhile a week's worth of cleaning the rest of that room and the rest of the house hasn't been done and so you end up with this stunningly polished gorgeous table in the midst of absolute chaos all around it that's exactly what it's like for me too and my mum's bathroom it's similar it's like her bath is like the inside of it is like impeccably clean but 
other areas meant to a normal eye may not look like that, but she doesn't actually touch any of those other areas, you know, because she hasn't got to them. So she sort of like lives in this sort of narrow pathway of cleanliness by, by which she moves within. When I was growing up, we had um, two bathrooms and one my mum would do and the other one, it's kind of gone past that point. So we just didn't use it. It would have just taken too long to get it up to the level it needed to be so there was no point even trying to get it to the halfway mark which I think a really big turning point in my mum was when she eventually got to that point where I'd say but just half do it this isn't the proper turn this I'll do the proper turn next week it kind of was a turning corner for her when she realized that she she knew it wasn't perfect and that was kind of okay when when did that happen really recently what's your earliest memory of your mum having OCD the accumulation stuff started when I was around six, six or seven. I think when rooms fill with things, that's such a dominating visual thing. That's what I remember. Was your mum um, interested in your cleanliness as a child? Would she wash your hands? She washed us perhaps more than people would normally be washed. Were you aware that it was different? I'm just thinking with myself, because it wasn't until I got to London at 18 and moved away from my family that I realised loads of things and thought, oh, God people wash their bedding every week. So that's a contradiction, isn't it? So some people would look at that and be like, that, that doesn't make sense, like, that doesn't sound like cleanliness. How do you explain that, that Because for my mum, it was the yeah. checking of things. So similarly to your mum, the checking of envelopes, or, but with washing, it was checking that the washing machine was empty before the washing went in. It was checking that when it came out of the washing machine that the clothes rack was clean enough for the clean washing to go on. And then as the washing was drying, checking that dust hadn't fallen on it or it was such a long process. And obviously something like bedding, you can't just put on a clothes rack. It, it's bigger and it was just too big a deal. So it just didn't get done that often. And when yeah. it did, it was easier sometimes just to bin and buy new. Would she do that? Yeah. So she really doesn't have the hoarding OCD. She could she could have binned your sheets. Oh yeah, that's that's the thing. It was never hoarding with my mum. When we had rooms, like when I see the picture of your rooms filled to the top, you know, I relate to that. But it wasn't that she wanted to keep it. It was that she hadn't got round to checking that it could be binned. Ah, okay. She would definitely just bin perfectly good stuff because it was like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with it. Because it was too dirty. It'd gone so far past the point of being able to bring it back that it would make the inside of the washing machine dirty to wash it. I, my mum does exactly the same thing with the cleaning of, of the rail that the clean clothes are going on, back and forth with this tiny piece of blue roll or something. And, she, and she'll show me every time. she says, do you see? Look at that. And you'll see, like, it, you know, it's slightly dark colour you there's you know dust has accumulated on it so if you see it but if you don't do that that gets on your clean laundry and there's visual evidence of it you know it's not just a mental thing there is there's proof it's such a logical thought to think why would I put my clean clothes on a dirty rack but then when it gets to the point of a bit of dust landing on it or the point that you actually have nothing clean because the process takes too long it it, it turns in on itself I think, I think that is the case. It's a spectrum disorder, so most people have a little bit of it, but it just it can get so much more extreme. She used to paint these minute, perfect flowers that you could practically pick off the page. And, you know, that, that kind of channeled that perfectionism. Some people really need an outlet for this perfectionism and a good way to put that is into one's creativity. And maybe my photography is that same thing. And without the photography, I could see how the OCD could develop quite quickly because I also, I think, have got that same perfectionism and it could happen. It's that line of, am I one disaster away from having severe OCD then? Do you have that fear of your own mental health or your own OCD? Yeah, of course. I think my work is has been about facing the, that fear of going down that road that I've, you know, seen so closely with my mum and I love her so much and we're so close. I kind of packaged it to myself as going to 
support my mum and help my mum. But as time has gone on, it's also very much me learning, you know, how to separate myself from it and try and also understand the whole OCD so much so that, you know, I don't find myself there. I've now got two small kids and I don't think that it's kicked off the obsessive compulsive disorder. And I know that we both talked about relating to the fact that our mums potentially did sort of get kicked off with having to look after small children. And I think that there is a connection there. I didn't think that I would get triggered by children, actually. And I think it's because maybe I related more to my grandmother, who was like a a surrogate mum in some ways. My mum really invited that relationship into our life. My grandmother was completely not OCD. You know, she'd do the cooking and then she'd sort of just shove her hands under some water and they'd still be half covered in flour and butter and she'd wipe them on a tea towel and then she'd sort of touch fish. And, you know, my mum would be in her kitchen and in the on one way be kind of liberated by this completely un-OCD, incredibly functional, loving wonderful like life that my grandmother gave to everyone and I think I saw that way of mothering so closely from my grandmother I think I held on to the idea that I could do that I knew how to mimic that way of mothering which was not going to be really kind of precise and I'm sure I'm sort of somewhere between the two there's a part of the OCD which is a type of shame too I think it gets pushed into a more extreme way of kind of manifesting itself because somebody's kind of shamed by it and afraid and so it gets worse. How has your mum responded to being the subject of your projects? There's been really positives in that for my mum but also it has in a way been quite intrusive too to be so in her face with with her issues. Do you think that's affected your relationship with her? Yeah a little bit but then also there's a there's like a real closeness between us two through what we've been through, which feels healthier now than it did before we started, I think. So it's, you know, it's got two sides to it. I, I completely agree. I, I feel like since starting The Secret Illness, my mum's made so many steps in loads of things. So her and her family talking about the fact that she has OCD for the first time and, you know, so many positive things. But on the other hand, I've always felt like I have to challenge it and it has I guess affected our relationship there's been times when I know I've pushed it too far I know that I I could have just been a good daughter and said I'll check that bag and put it in the bin real long term when I look back at my teenage years and just not understanding it and not getting it and and thinking no I'm not good I don't want to do that I don't want to check that bag for you or knowing that I probably made it's so much harder for her that day for example when I was in that foul mood and didn't want to shake the towel outside the back door. How hard her day must have been because I did that. The other side of it is trying to fix things and trying to make things better, which mean those difficult conversations and doing things like this. It's interesting you were talking about shame earlier. I asked my mum if she'd be on this podcast and, and got a kind of resounding no. When I tell her, when I recorded something tonight, and she'll go, oh God, oh God, what are they going to think of me? Oh God. But it, it does feel with OCD, there's this real sense of, it's so shameful and it's so un-understandable. Everyone would just think you were absolutely mad to do these things. What about you, going back to that question of mental illness, what about your, your fears of OCD or any mental illness in general? It worries me what could happen if things changed in my life and if things got out of control. And I think it's hard for me as well because my mum doesn't really remember when it started she remembers bits from being young but she's not too sure there's that fear in me of well did it just arrive one day one day was it too strong an urge to not check and will that happen to me or have I just been brought up in that atmosphere and so I have taken the bits of it that are actually quite good for leading a really organized life and left the bits that don't work behind but knowing that the obsessional side of it's not too far away and I yeah. guess that's what frightens me. I'm like, am I on it or am I obsessional? And, w- and when does the one turn into the other? Where, where's that line? How old um, are your um, children? Four and two. And do you see anything that you think, oh gosh. But my four-year-old definitely ha- is really particular. So it's if you sort of lean over and cut her food and if you cut it differently to how she had imagined it, 
she'd just freak out. So that slightly worries me. You know, I hope that as a mother, I'll just teach her, you've got to channel that into something creative and, and it'll all be okay. But it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's a quality and that quality needs to find an outlet. You were saying you would arrive home from school. Describe to me the scene of how you would get in the door. When we were on our way home, my mum would have a routine of making sure that the windows were up, making sure that the handbrake was on. But it would take so long that if we pulled up on the drive, obviously you've got to keep the engine running while you do all those things. So if we pulled up on the drive, you know, we'd be on the drive with the engine running and I guess neighbours might see or someone might come past. So we'd do it round the corner from the house. Um, do the windows up and everything so me and my sister just had to be really quiet so you know we'd have a book or we'd be on our Game Boys or whatever it'd be absolutely fine but if for whatever reason we made noise the whole thing would have to start again so it could take a while so we learnt quite early on that we had to be really really well behaved and just sit there quiet but then of course once everything had been done we then still had to drive around the corner to get to the drive and sometimes it would just need to be done again then anyway so no, I found it annoying. I wanted to get home. I knew that it was... I necessarily realised it was strange. I just kind of thought it's what we did. Now my mum will take, you know, two minutes, but she'll still tap the handbrake, press the button on the window, but it's a very quick routine. Similarly to, to you, we had rooms that we just didn't use. We had a dining room attached to our living room and in our first house. I don't think I ever went in it, ever. But it's interesting about the whole cleanliness thing because, you know, we had dogs, we had pets and the kind of dog hair and everything. So when we did get home from school, one thing was that our clothes that we were in were clean clothes. Straight away you got into your doggy clothes. Before we went to bed, we'd take off our clothes downstairs and go upstairs so that the the dirty clothes from downstairs hadn't gone up into upstairs. So there was kind of rules, and but they were all just part of our bedtime routine. Yes. Your friends, were they ever allowed to come back to your house? No, no. Yeah. And did your mum ever try to cover it up? Yeah, um, I've seen her feeling ashamed, really, with the rooms full of things and having to weave stories about that. And I do remember feeling really confused by when I'd come back from London or somewhere come down and she'd put on a big jacket before she'd hug us because we'd come from London and we deemed dirty and she wouldn't want to touch that. And did it hurt you? Yeah, it did because I didn't understand it was OCD so I'd take it personally. I think probably the instinct to put the coat on was stronger than the one to want to hug and that was the bit that really upset me, I think. The compulsion of OCD was becoming stronger than her own maternal instinct and that was worrying to me and, and offended me. Was that the hardest bit, do you think, as a daughter for you? Definitely, definitely. Really didn't like that. My mum says that a lot. She goes, yeah, I know that upset you. You know, you don't need to not wash a plate, all these things, but you do need a hug. And then when you, when that's being taken away from you by an illness, that's like... Yeah. noticeable. My mum becoming a grandma was a really big turning point for her because my niece will go over with snot dripping down her face and her hands covered in cream cheese. And, and my mum just kind of picks up the face wipe, cleans her up, grabs her, gives her a kiss, says, oh, you've got snot on my face. And we're just like, who are you? Who is this woman that's absolutely fine to do that? But something overrides her when she's with her granddaughter that kind of stops the OCD in its tracks. With my mum, the maternal instinct really does override her cleanliness, but the checking is still there. My mum's the same with my children as well. As a grandmother, she's incredible and she lets them jump all over her. She's always been able to pick them up. Do you think that OCD defined who your mum is? It's definitely a large part of her. And with the work I've been doing, I was definitely trying to separate her OCD from her personality for myself. But her personality, it's not a clear line, because has strands inside. Her personality of that perfectionism is there very strongly. 
but she's a very theatrical person and very funny and is a great entertainer. She's often the one that's sort of great light in the party and making everybody laugh. There are whole, whole other sides of her which are nothing to do with the OCD. It's very much a part of her because I've looked at it and I've noticed it and I'm trying to kind of change it and address it, but it's only a part of her. I asked because um, Liz interviewed me and she asked me that question. I don't really remember what I said. <laughs> well, how, how would you answer that now, turning that back to you? It is that thing of, of course it's defined who she is. It's changed the path of her life. Mm. So many things have happened as a consequence of OCD. It altered everything. Everything would have been different if my mum hadn't had OCD. I relate to what you're saying, that idea of, of OCD holding the reins. I can look at my mum in that way too and go, mm, yeah, it's true. Things could be very different without it. Time, just the amount of times that she would have if she didn't have the OCD. It's time in such huge quantities. It's years and years and years of life. Mm. But it's really fantastic to speak to you and know that you have someone in your life that you love and adore but that has got this thing that you have also dealt with even though you haven't got it i have lived with ocd i have lived with ocd even though i haven't got it because that was my life totally yeah you've had to perform out the rituals and the compulsions so yeah. have i but it's good once you start working with it i think in things break down. I mean, when I think of first times I've worked through spaces with my mum, first time I did the paperwork with her, you know, first time I kind of went and moved the areas on the desk, she absolutely flipped out. She could barely speak to me for two days. She was so upset. Every single one of these little things I do at the beginning would shatter her emotionally. She could not cope with it. And now it's it's okay. She'll she'll make some sort of small complaint, but it will be small. It's amazing when I think of that. I think of the times when she was just devastated. So how did you feel after talking with Leone? Quite emotional actually. It it was really nice to speak to someone who is in a similar boat to me and has made some of the same mistakes as I have and has tackled some of the same hurdles I think it, it yeah it made me feel a little bit more uh, confident in in doing the podcast and it's also someone who's encouraging their mum to speak out about things that they don't want to speak out about and, and here's someone else who's on the same path as me and and someone else's mum who's getting better through their daughter helping them and, and trying to you know, use creativity to make things more positive. You both talked about how you would take part in the rituals. We saw it as a way to help my mum get rid of everything in the house and, you know, sort through those things. So we, we would do it and we would tell her things were clean and we would shake things outside the back door if she thought there was dust on them. And I guess, weirdly, how other children might have had chores, our chores were just different. My mum never asked me to wash up or back, but I would go through a, a, a bag of envelopes and check that they were empty, you know. But it didn't feel like a, a bad thing. It was just kind of how, what, what we did. Yeah, yeah. Did you, who did the washing up then? We didn't really eat at home ever, so there wasn't washing up. Why, we, why was that? I mean, I imagine it was my mum's issues with perhaps having to do the washing up afterwards and things like that. We'd go to Sainsbury's Cafe one night and Morrison's Cafe another night. And, and you know, everything that anyone else would have, my mum made sure that we were only allowed the things that were healthy on the menu and um, with school lunches at school and everything. So, you know, I think I was brought up really well, but we didn't eat in the house. And it was something that when we went to other people's houses, we'd be like, oh. Was it explicitly said you can't have friends over or was it just understood? I can't remember, but I am... I wouldn't have asked. I knew it wasn't a thing. I wasn't allowed people. That was just that. I, I probably knew that it wasn't worth asking. So in our last interview, when I asked you if you felt your mum's OCD had defined who she was, this is what you said. I, I think it's defined her entire life. Everything that has happened to my mum in adult life has been manipulated by the part of her brain that, that has obsessive compulsive disorder. I think so many of her choices... The places she's been or not been, the 
people she's met or not met, the way she's lived, everything has been defined by OCD. Until really recently when she's fought back mm-hmm. and periods during her life when she's fought back as well. Like I said, there was periods, you know, when we were younger, a good year or so when everything really cleared up and she was in a really good place and came off a lot of the medication. And, you know, so it, there has definitely been glimpses of hope, but the majority has been bullied by OCD. So it's defined her, her life's path. Um, to what extent is her character and her OCD intertwined? Yeah, I remember my mum being like really loud and really characterful and bolshy. And now she's quite a nervous person, well, a very nervous person. She worries about everything. She doesn't say anything. She's a very intelligent person, I think, but doubts everything. Everything about her character, either through the medication or through the worry, has meant that she's... Her, her entire personality, people think she was really withdrawn, that she was very shy. And I remember a much different character when I was growing up. I played this podcast last night to my mum and she said she was absolutely heartbroken thinking about the effect that OCD had had on me and my sister. And she said it had been her biggest fear her entire life that we might end up with OCD, which is something she's never said to me before. And she was worried that when the podcast came out, her friends and family would be more aware of her OCD and might start noticing the little rituals that she's managed to keep hidden all these years. And listening to the podcast actually brought back memories from years ago, from when she was at school, that she'd completely forgotten about, but now, in hindsight, can see that OCD was there right from the beginning, even though she didn't know what it was. And actually, her whole life has been affected by OCD. But despite all of this, we both feel quite positive about the journey, now that we've come to the end of the recordings. I think the fact that my mum is sharing for the first time is huge. And she does feel a little bit less shameful. I think there's a long way to go, but it's a start. And she knows how important it is that she talks about her OCD to other people. And I personally feel like no matter what life throws at me, I'll be able to deal with it. I've got all this prior knowledge and I've already got a head start on the bully that is OCD. So if it does come for me, I'll be ready. mothers and daughters featured on this podcast for sharing your stories with such honesty and a huge thank you to Leonie's mum and my own mum who so bravely allowed us to discuss some of the hardest moments of their lives thank you to our editor Liz Smith and our composer Mitch Brucing. if you want to get involved with future podcasts be featured on our wall or collaborate creatively with us then check out our website at thesecretillness.com